live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I feel like I do have to check in on my half fam once again this morning. You know I never like to see my fellow half chouts struggling. struggling. And right now it seems to me that struggle is real. At least it looks and feels real from here 3,000 miles away in SoCal. In fact, from here, it looks downright miserable in Chowtown. In fact, why don't we just cut out the pleasantries altogether? Exactly the hell is going on there, half fam? Because from where I'm sitting, bleep is ripping apart. First, it was the allegedly all-time great Bruins crashing and burning out of the NHL playoffs in a quote... Hindenburg-like ending. Hindenburg-like ending. That's not me saying that. But I can't argue with it either. That was a Hindenburg-like ending. Hindenburg-like ending. And then literally hours after that, the Celtics lose game one and their home court advantage against the Sixers minus Joel Embiid. And that pretty much right there is the definition of below not good. In fact... Below not good does not begin to do that justice. I mean, exactly how would you characterize letting Philly come into your house, rip game one and the home court without the soon-to-be MVP, Troel? I mean, what would you call that? There's a phrase for it. God, what's the matter with me? There's a phrase for it. It's on the tip of my tongue. What is that again? Oh, yeah, I know. Straight ass. That's what that is. How the hell did that happen? Seriously, how did that happen? The hell is going on at TD Garden? That's not one bad night. That's two bad weeks. In fact, two of the worst weeks ever, half fam. I don't recognize my half fam anymore or my half teams anymore. Not that I need to tell you this, but others around the nation may not know it, but let me lay it out. I know you know this, half fam. But for the rest of the nation, that is now four straight L's for the home team between the Bruins and the Celtics. It is brutal. Boston cannot buy a win at home right now, even though they had a win gift-wrapped for them last night. Gift-wrapped. Can't buy a dub. When most of you just assumed that you would have two world championships this year. You assumed it. You know you did. The Bruins, the Celtics. It was all set up. It was perfect. You assumed two parades. And then one turns into the biggest disaster ever. And the other one is now on the verge of coming off the rails altogether. The Bruins pull off a choke for the ages. But the Celtics were like, hey, hold my Sam Adams laga. Again, they just lost as a double-digit favorite to a Philadelphia 76ers team without the likely NBA MVP, Joel Embiid. And it's not that they lost, but how they lost. And who did them? Because listen, Hall of Fame credentials aside, how many times has James Harden crapped the bed in the postseason? And don't tell me the criticism of the beard melting down in the playoffs isn't fair, because it is. It is because he has. Yes, he's an all-time great. Yes, he's a Hall of Famer. But don't tell me this guy hasn't disappeared and come up small repeatedly on the biggest stage because the guy has. He has. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. That's not a hot take. That's real. But last night, last night, one of the more likely dudes to not come through in a big spot came through huge in a huge spot. In fact, that dude probably has never been better on a big stage when his team needed it more than last night. I mean, I almost can't even believe that I'm talking about the beard in this regard. You know, the artist formerly known as James Larden. The dude who never comes through when it matters most, at least until last night. And if you're sitting there thinking, damn, I've pretty much never seen the Beard have a game like that in a spot like that. It's because he pretty much has never had a game like that in a spot like that. 45 points, 
tied a career playoff high, and it wasn't just the 45 that was so enormous. It was also the dagger that he dropped on them in the last 10 seconds. It's a two-second steam clock and shot clock. Harden sizing up Harford. It's a three. Oh! Harden's got 45! Timeout, Boston! Two points, sixer lead! That is the sound of a stunned TD Garden. Again, they just watched the best regular season team in NHL history go up in flames in the first round and then somehow witness something just as shocking the very next night. They witnessed James Harden actually coming through. I mean, I feel like I don't even know this bearded dude anymore. Who was that bearded dude who showed up in Boston last night? He didn't just play his ass off and come up huge in the clutch. He actually showed some of that competitive fire as well. Did you catch this dude telling his teammates not to celebrate after the game and waving them back to the locker room and yelling, it's one game, bro. It's one game. Look at this dude. He's got that team on his back. He's leading from the front. I mean, it's one game, bro. Honestly, who the hell is this guy? And what have they done with Larden? James Harden throwing it back and putting James Larden on a milk carton last night. I'll tell you what, I hope we never, ever find that tub of goo. Listen, this dude has taken a lot of crap over the years for his play in the postseason. And he has deserved a lot of crap over the years for his play in the postseason. I mean, how many other dudes also do you know have eaten their way off of an NBA team? Literally, not a figure of speech, ate his way out of town, ate his way off a team. They don't call you lard in for nothing. You have to earn that gloss. And then in a way, last night sort of made the haters point for them. Like, where the hell has this guy been? Why don't we see that more often? He knows it. He's heard it. This is what he had to say about it to the media afterwards. I haven't felt one of those zones in a minute. It felt really good. You know what I mean? Just to be aggressive and shoot the basketball and do what I want. You know what I mean? Like, that felt really good. And I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm capable of doing it. You know what I mean? So it felt good. It felt good to make shots, to, to give ourselves a chance and be aggressive. Yeah, I get that, dude. I'm sure that did feel good. Probably felt great. And you're right. Everybody knows it's been a minute, which is why, James, everybody's wondering, why? Why don't we see that more often? Why don't we see that most of the time? If you're still capable of that now, why didn't you do more of that earlier? And yes, yes, I am well aware that he's now about making sacrifices and subjugating his game for Joel and the team. I get that. But where were you all those years when you were the guy and everybody else was subjugating everything else for you? And then you were unable to consistently deliver. I mean, again, who saw this coming last night? Who saw that game from that guy coming last night when they needed it most? And even if you're a Sixers player or a coach and you say you did and you knew and this is why we were all wrong, you're lying. Especially when our dude was right on brand. Hitting Vegas between series and showing up last night in a cookie monster fit. I mean, how serious can this guy really be if he's in Vegas slapping a member of his entourage on video, in the middle of the playoffs, and then repping the Cookie Monster. What? Grimace didn't want any of that. Then again, ball out like he did last night, and this dude can essentially dress however the hell he wants. Maybe do a deal with Dana White for power slap in between games one and two for all I care. I mean, show up like that, do what he did last night, And he can do pretty much whatever he wants within reason. Listen, for the Sixers to shock the world and make the worst month in the history of Boston sports, he's probably going to have to do that three more times. And I really didn't even think he had it in him once. But even more importantly, I can't believe Boston allowed that to happen in the first place. 
once again on their home floor just hours after seeing their hockey team pull off arguably the biggest choke in league history hours before half am Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Half fam, I'm half pissed, but in full shock. So how the hell are you feeling? What the hell is going on there? Get on the phones, get on social media, hit me up, let me know. Now I'm going to check in with Dan Shaughnessy. He'll shoot me straight if you won't. I want to know what the hell is going on there and how it feels and whether or not you're going to get right and get this thing turned around. As for Harden, I got to admit, watching him get buckets felt like I went back in a time machine to like, I don't know, 2019. You know, when he was coming in top five of the MVP race. Great year, 2019. Like a time machine. Inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, I was. Good times. Harden's three was everybody's highlight from yesterday. But here's my favorite highlight. My favorite highlight was not the dagger was not any of the shots he made, was not him throwing it back, was not him getting that team on his back. No, my highlight was actually before the game, during the TNT pregame broadcast, when Kenny Smith, Ernie, Shaq, and one legend to us all, Charles, were doing what they do best, chopping it up, talking a little bit of junk, and doing their show. No offense to the Hawks, but it was probably hard to get up for the Hawks. They'll be up with this team with or without them, Joe. You know, they know they were tested. I still feel they're kind of upset that they didn't get it done last year. So, But, again, it's kind of hard to get up for the Hawks. You know, they only got one player, and, and that's Trey, and he's a little guy. I'm not really getting up for a little guy. So, you know, I think they'll be a little Why bit. Why are you laughing, Chuck? Hey, Chuck? One of my favorite people is Jim Rome. Oh, okay. I, you yeah, know, he I does this thing all the time where he says he plays these tapes, but somebody say, I mean, no disrespect. And you know oh, what's coming next? Oh, disrespect. It just makes me laugh. He said, but to me, this, this game tonight is all about this. My man Chuck. How about my man Chuck name-checking me last night? You know I love Chuck. More so now. If you need context, Shaq was saying, no offense to the Hawks. And as always, you know, no offense, no disrespect. Whenever somebody starts a sentence with no offense or no disrespect, somebody's about to be offended. Somebody's about to be disrespected. So, Chuck's I got to laugh. One of my favorite people, Jim Rome. I love you, Chuck. So appreciate that name check. Couldn't have said it better myself. No disrespect. But, hey, Marcus Smart, why are you leaving Harden and letting old Al Horford one-on-one for the game winner? No disrespect. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. My guy Dan Shaughnessy is back in the jungle. Dan, it's great to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. I'm good. How you doing? Good, good. Dan, appreciate you. Appreciate this. Listen, first the Bruins, now the Celtics. I don't know how to ask this other than to just say or ask Dan, what the hell is going on at TD Garden? Yeah, House of Blues, man. I don't know. It's uh, It's been kind of a good place for the home team, and this year especially, Bruins' best record in NHL history. And They only lost four real games at home all year, and they lost three straight games in the playoffs to the Panthers at home. Uh, and the Celtics, of course, I mean, I, I think they're one of the best teams standing. I want to ask you about that. But 24 hours later, they give a game away to the Sixers who don't have the, well, the guy who's going to be MVP, I'm assuming, Joel Embiid. So 
Yeah, people are just a zombie town around here walking out of the garden two nights in a row. Dan Shaughnessy joining us. Dan, I was going to say, I'd call it a wake-up call, but the Celtics had already lost a home game to the Hawks. And to your point, Philly comes in and they rip the home court without Joel Embiid. So how concerned are you about the Celtics, who suddenly may not be the ones to beat? Yeah, I'm anxious to talk to more guys like yourself and, you know, just what, what the perception is. I saw today in USA Today that the Celtics were picked the eighth best team still standing. I thought they were like the best team still standing with, with all the injuries that have happened and, and you know, their their pedigree. They got to the finals last year, led the Warriors 2-1. to one. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you know, the 6'8", six, 6'6", six, six slashers that everybody wants in the, in the prime of their careers. It, it feels like it's their time, but you're right. I mean, they, they've got maturity issues. They've got leadership issues. They think they're better than they are. And until they win a championship – they're suspects, and uh, right now this thing has been laid out in front of them, and they're not seizing it in the first game, so we'll see if they pick it up. Dan Shaughnessy joining us. So, Dan, when you talk about leadership issues, how much of that is about the guys on the floor and how much of that is about your first-year head coach, Joe Mazzulla? Yeah, hadn't been a good uh, – walls are closing in on Joe Mazzulla. He's 34 years old, you know, two years younger than Al Horford, and you know, never coached as a head coach anywhere outside of, you know, I think, Division three. And uh, he was in the back row of the bench last year. He just vaulted over a lot of guys when Ime uh, was cut loose. And um, he's a Stevens guy, an Ainge guy, and uh, they, they think highly of him. And it's kind of a pleasure cruise all year during the season. And he's, he's reluctant to publicly say anything bad about his players, so that plays well in the room. But um, he's been outcoached, and he was outcoached last night by Doc. Even the, the Trey Young shot a week ago when the Hawks came down, uh, Al Horford maybe shouldn't be ISO one-on-one with these guys. He's 36 years old. And uh, with Harden, they, they just dared him to do what he's been doing for 100 years, and that he loves that game. So I don't know. And, and Boston had an inbounds play. Jim, I mean, 8.4 seconds. They didn't get a shot off. They're forcing the ball. They have a turnover machine. And Tatum and Brown both kind of turtled in the second half. Um, it's, it was hard to believe they could lose that game. I think they made 14 of their first 15 shots. No one committed a foul for 23 minutes. It was a very kind of a low-energy game, but everybody's making their shots. And then at the end, the other guys, out-of-town guys, without their best player, they stood up and, and took it away from you. Dan, I agree with everything you just said, literally everything you just said. I mean, it's one thing for Joe Mazzulla to be outcoached or turned inside out, but when you juxtapose that against Doc Rivers, of all guys, coming back <laughs> in and doing that to him, it looks even worse. You know, as for the Bruins, jumping over there, Dan, you wrote – a column recently, like one thing to have the greatest regular season ever and then go up three games to one and lose at game seven, you try to kind of put that collapse in context in a column recently. How bad of a loss was that in comparison to some of the great Boston collapses that you've covered and seen in your life? Yeah, I've seen them all, as you reference. I'm an old-timer here. And, uh, and again, people who – it depends on how old you are, but if you're in New England, the 86 World Series, I know it was – 37 years ago, whatever it is now, but that was uh, that, that they win all the records for that one. They they take all the medals. It's the one that never goes away. Investigations were held, books were written. You know, it was it was a horrible event here, and didn't really go away till they won in 04. That's always number one on the gold medal platform, in my view. Now the Patriot thing in 07, 08, where they run the table and they're 18 and 0. That team performed well in the playoffs. They just didn't finish the job, but. There was a lot of expectation that they were going to hang the 19-0 banner and greatest team of all time, and it all went away in Glendale, Arizona, and David Tyree with the ball up against his helmet. Those things, those things live on around here. The Bruins think hockey doesn't have quite the gravitas, but it's got a really hardcore fan base, and uh, they're kind of comparing some of the ones they've had. This group with Marshan, Bergeron, Krejci, they should have done more. I mean, they've won three President's Trophies. They've been in the finals three times. This year, the greatest NHL season of all time. They got one cup, and that looks like how it's going to end because I don't think a couple of them are coming back. Dan Shaughnessy is joining us. Dan, speaking of the quote Patriot thing, so they're 25-25 and 25 with that one playoff loss since yeah. Tom Brady's departure. How would you describe the relationship between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick right now at this stage of both of their lives? I think it's frosty. It's always been frosty. I mean, Parcells kind of laid the, the groundwork for that. He didn't have any use, you know, for you know, hanging, you know, schmoozing with sponsors, or he doesn't. He he would push back at the mention of the Patriot way. I mean, the owner kind of likes to have the fans think it's something that it's not, and uh, Belichick has never bought into that. He just he wants to win. He's a great coach. He's all about winning. He's also maybe kind of still coaching like it's 1990, and Lawrence Taylor's coming around the door. Um, I don't know. It's 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 suspect right now. And Kraft's impatient. He's in his 80s. He's not in the Hall of Fame yet. You know, he, who knows what's left for him? And he wants to win now. And no playoff wins 
since Brady left, uh, unacceptable for them. And like you say, a 500 team. And, you know, I guess they had an okay draft. He drafted all defensive players just like they always do and uh, not giving Mac Jones a lot of help. So there's restlessness in the nation here. And uh, I think that uh, if, if Bill doesn't get it done this year, would they let him go when he's on the threshold of passing Shula? I don't know. Uh, Kraft likes that kind of thing too. So there's a lot of, you know, no one says much up here. But I think the instincts of what you're relating to, I think those are true. I think it's frosty. I mean, Dan, you just touched on something I was going to follow you with. Maybe you can elaborate on that pretty quickly. Like, how do you think it ends? Clearly, Kraft is impatient. He's running out of time. They're not getting it done. You know that he would love to see Belichick get that Chula record and do it there. But at what cost? Like, how do you think this thing ends, in your opinion? It's going to be performance-related. I think if they go another year and don't make the playoffs, if it goes south, and they... Jim, they, they look like, on paper, the worst team in the division now after the, all the years of the tomato cans falling down in front of them. With, with, with Rodgers going to the Jets, I mean, you start off, maybe you're fourth in that division. So we'll see if he can coach them up, as they say, around that. But they don't make the playoffs again. Mac Jones, you know, they don't want to commit the money to him now that it's going to come due. Uh, if it starts to fall apart to that level, if Bob Kraft's son, John Kraft, were running the show, Bill would have been gone yesterday, in my view. So... The old man's got a lot of sentimentality about it. I'm sure he wants, he loves what Bill's done here, wants to see Bill break Shula's record, but that's going to take a couple of years. And if they underperform again this year, it's going to be nut-cutting time around here. <laughs> nut-cutting time. Danny, how amazing would that be to see Belichick get that record with somebody else? <laughs> I mean, incredible. Let me ask you really quickly about Mac Jones. Dan, you, because you've seen everything, they put him in such a bad spot yeah. and coached him yeah. down. They didn't coach him up. But did you have any issue with the way he carried himself, Mac, and the way he conducted himself? Or is this all on the coaches and what they did to him in the position they put him in? Well, I mean, it's, we don't get a lot, like we say, but certainly the body language is bad, yelling at the assistants on the sideline. And they set him up to fail last year with the clown show of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running the offense. And, and he got no help with receivers, running backs, and it's ongoing. They won't even say his name when Belichick talks or the, the, the GMs. They won't say his name. It's the weirdest situation here. So I don't know what's going on. They're really they're reluctant to commit to him. Uh, a lot of guessing going on. And he regressed from his first year to his second. So, Again, they're behind the eight ball in so many different areas as they go into the season. Very critical season for them. Dan, before you go, you wrote a terrific book entitled Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. What was life like for you with the Larry Bird Celtics? Well, it's one of those things. We don't want to be the old guy saying, hey, the NBA was so much better in the 80s, but it was. And, I mean, you know, that's when you had Jordan, Magic, and Celtics. Celtics-Lakers was the Ali Frazier of the NBA. And that really brought the league into the prominence that it is today with Davis Stern being commissioner, leading to the dream team, Jordan comes in. And, you know, all the benefits of today are owed to that era. And that best part about that era, Jim, was the writers, we got to be around them. We got to tell you what they were like. And this book is just being living with them, waiting for bags, going to the bar after the game, staying in a hotel, riding the bus. So it's, it's like being on the team without the fame and the money and the groupies. You just have that experience. And no one's ever going to have that experience again. So we're able to tell you what it was like to live with those guys when they were at the height of their powers. So what was it like, really quickly, like, I mean, could you hang out with these guys? Like, Dan, you were yeah. never a guy that covered the athletes, like covered them by covered them, as opposed to reporting on them. But what was it like being in a bar with Larry Bird after a game? I was always a suspect. He'd say, Scoop, you notice how quiet it gets when you walk in here? You know, because I, you know, I wasn't to be trusted because they knew if I knew something, I'd probably use it in the paper. But he was fun. One time he had a free throw streak going. He was challenging Calvin Murphy for the most straight, you know, consecutive free throws. He comes up to me pregame. He says, what are you working on? I said, I'm doing an early story about your free throw streak, so don't miss tonight. It'll look bad in those early papers in Maine and Cape Cod. And he goes to the line in the first half. He made the first one. He looked over and winked at me. In those days, we were sitting right down by the bench. So I got Larry Bird winking at me before free throws because he remembered what we are talking about before the game. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. No, that's a great story, too. It is called Wish It Lasted Forever Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. Dan Shaughnessy has been with the Globe since 1981. He's a columnist, he's an associate editor, and he is a very good friend of the program. Dan, so good to run you down. Appreciate you, miss you, and great to have you back. Miss you too, buddy. Great to talk to you. Take care, Jim. You're the best, Dan. Thank you very much. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. 
Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Hey, Jim, even I think that Dylan Brooks is a terrible teammate. Regards, Gio Reyna. Unwar soccer moms. That story. That fam. Signed Jeremy, surrounded by meth in Montana. Jeremy, we've covered this already. Montana is such an enormous state. What part of Montana are you in that you're surrounded by meth? Are you going to argue to me that it doesn't matter? Wherever you are in Montana, you're surrounded by meth. We had a house in Big Sky for like 10 years. I never saw meth once. Not once. Not only did we have a house in Big Sky, I went to other parts of Montana. I love that state. You're Went to Livingston. Never saw any meth. Went to Bozeman. Never saw any meth. Did I ever hit Kalispell? I don't think so. Whitefish? Nah. I never saw any meth. I'm going to shoot you straight. I've never saw meth anywhere. I've never seen meth. In person. In person. I've seen meth on TV. I've seen meth online. I've seen people cracked out their minds on meth. But I've never actually seen it in person. So I'm going to really put, I'm going to really say something crazy. I've never done meth either. And I'm pretty sure I never will. That's it. Meth is not on my bucket list. I've got things on my bucket list. Doing meth is not one of them. Like, we're going to be empty nesters soon. Dr. Jano and I. So when you're married, you know, like we haven't had a free weekend in, I don't know, 21 years. I remember it used to be before Jake was born and we lived in the 818. We were constantly like, it's so funny to me. What do you want to do this weekend? I don't know. What do you want to do this weekend? We haven't had that conversation in 21 years. We're about to start having that conversation again. But I'll tell you how it's not going to end. Hey, DJ, what do you want to do this weekend? I don't know. What do you want to do, Van Smack? I had an idea. Sweetheart, we should do something that we've never done before to keep it fresh and change up. I'm all ears. What do you want to do, honey? Meth. Yeah, no, that, that's, that conversation will never transpire in our home. That's it, Rome. I've been listening for 25 years, and I'm addicted to meth, and I'm never going to listen to you ever again. You making light of meth? No, I'm not. I'm just saying I've never seen it, nor am I ever going to do it. I've seen faces of meth. I don't want my face to look like that. I'm doing whatever I can to moisturize and maintain a certain face. I've seen faces of meth. Like when Cindy takes my makeup off, she'll apply or give me a little bit of moisturizer that I can apply. She's never once given me any meth to rub on my face. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Because I've not forgotten about you, New York fan. How y'all living? I'm guessing almost as crappily as Boston fan, who you hate so much. So let me ask you the same thing I asked him or her or them. The hell is going on in New York? No, it's not as bad as what I'm seeing from my half fam, but it's not good. In fact, below not good. Seriously, did the Rangers even know that that was a Game 7 last night and not some morning skate on an off day? I'm not sure I've ever seen... An NHL team 
come up smaller and less interested in a Game 7 than what I saw from the Rangers last night. And no, I'm not expecting Mark Messier to come walking through that door. But could they have come up any smaller or less interested in that game than they did against the Devils, no less? And believe me, that game was not nearly as close as that score would indicate. Losing a Game 7 is bad enough, but losing like that is unforgivable, especially in a series where you had a 2-0 lead. So if you're looking to take some of the heat off of Boston for its all-time choke, you're succeeding. Not that bad, but you're in the conversation. You're in the same area code. And then, of course, the Knicks allow Miami to come into their house and rip game one and the home court in the process. So, New York fan, you've got that going for you too, which is not nice at all. And then on top of that, the thing you're tripping about seemingly even more, because I understand the NHL is not the NBA or the NFL or maybe MLB. And MLB is separate from like the Yankees, right? The Yankees are transcendent. The Yankees are almost bigger than the game, almost bigger than the sport. So I see why you're tripping so hard on the Yankees, and you are that. You're tripping on them, puking all over themselves. I don't know. I'm looking around town there from here. I had no idea choking was this contagious. Like, you even look at a fellow choker, and then all of a sudden, it's in your bloodstream. It's that infectious. It's that insidious. Take the pinstripers. They blow a 2-0 ninth inning lead last night. They lose to the Guardians, plummeting to the basement in the AL East, where they now sit on 500. They've lost four in a row. They've lost seven of their last 10. Aaron Judge is on the IL. Yankee fan is losing their collective bleep. And now they're coming for everybody. Everybody named Aaron, anyway. Except Judge, Aaron Boone, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Cashman. Hey, oh. And never mind that it's thanks, Alvy. Thank you very much for picking me up. I mean, dude, they're really unhappy with Aaron Hicks. Almost as unhappy with Aaron Boone. And no, they're not happy with Cash. Never mind that as I look at my calendar, it's May 2nd. They want somebody to pay, and they want somebody to pay right now. They want somebody's dome on a stick, preferably three or four. I mean, pinstripe Twitter damn near broke the entire internet by itself last night. Look, I'm not going to sit here in California and tell you how to feel Yankee fan, nor am I going to say that your team isn't playing like crap. It is. And that you should never be in last place in the East, not after even one game, much less 30. I also understand that nobody's ever won a pennant in the first week of May and that plenty have lost one. But holy crap, Yankee fans, settle down. It's only May 2nd. Baseball games may be shorter than they've been in years, but the season is still long as hell. Relax. Relax. There is no reason to lose your bleep completely on May 2nd. There will be plenty of time for that still. Again, you want to freak out on something. Why don't you freak out on the Rangers? Completely no-showing in a Game 7. Focus on the Knicks. They've already lost the home court to a busted-up Miami Heat team. One game in. Or listen, focus on something totally different. Why don't you do that? redirect your attention. It's Derby Week. Get a racing forum. Do a little handicapping. Just think about something else. And before you tell me to shut my mouth and that I just don't get it, I agree with you. I just don't get it. It's May 2nd. I'm not saying that wasn't a horrible loss last night. It absolutely was. But life is short and the season is long as hell. No need to bury your dudes yet. No need to break off Aaron Boone yet, or Aaron Hicks, or both. Now, if you're still playing 500 ball, come the All-Star break or so, and Hicks has gone all for all of May and June, and Boone is getting turned inside out by his counterpart on the daily, then feel free, light your own house on fire. Burn it to the ground. 
But until then, why don't we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the Rangers for their no-show and that meltdown. And getting right, right away against the Miami Heat. Because if you fall down two games to none, I've got hour number one tomorrow. Better take care of your business tonight. Oh, 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 and one more thing. Keep killing Trey Young because that never gets old. Trey Young! Trey Young! Trey Young! Also, be sure to take your act to 7th Avenue. That I also got, never gets old. Question! I got one question! Yeah, what's the question? Yo, KD! KD! Don't you regret that coming? I love how that deteriorates into ah! Yeah, yo, 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 KD, don't you ah! Keep that energy. Hey, 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 LeBron James! Hey, one more thing. This is about to get very graphic in nature. This is about to get very graphic in nature. Don't tell me that you were not warned. I'm not dropping this on you. This is about to get graphic in nature. If Yankee Brass needs help chilling out their angst-ridden fan base, look no further than the Philadelphia Phillies, who are also 15 and 15. You heard me. Listen, New York. And this is about to get graphic in nature. Have I mentioned that? Rip a page from the Phillies. They are thinking outside the box, and they're being very innovative in handling their fans in attendance. The Phillies know how dicey things can get, how spicy things can get. The Philadelphia Phillies know Philly fan. So, the Phillies' next big promotion is not just another bobblehead giveaway— they're going to go even bigger. Do you know what they're doing with the traditional bobblehead giveaway? You know how big they're doing it? I will let Phillies radio broadcaster Kevin Stoker explain. Clear a space on your shelf and get ready to bring home a legend when the Phillies host the Dodgers on Friday, June 9th at 7.05 p.m. And all fans 15 and over receive a Johnson Controls Dickhead Dick Allen bobble figurine. Order tickets. Dick Allen bobblehead. Johnson controls Dick Dick Allen's bobble figurine. Order tickets now at phillies.com. There is your answer, Yankees. Give out D-head bobbleheads. A Yankee fan. Dick Dick Allen's bobble figurine. Order tickets. A Yankee fan. Stop being... Insert it, Albie. Dick Dick Allen's bobble Yankee fan, stop being dick dick. It's too early. It's too early. Chill. Furnace heads. Dick hey, Kevin, my guy, I got you. It's hard. It's hard, dude. Kevin, I got you. Trolls might be coming for you. Trolls might be clowning you on Twitter. Not me, my guy. I appreciate your work, bro, Ham. I got you. Listen, I know you spend enough time behind a mic, in front of a camera, you're going to misspeak. It's going to happen. Well, you hope that doesn't happen, but anything can happen. So I got you. 15 and over receive a Johnson Controls Dick Dick Allen's Bobble Figurine. Order tickets now at Phillies. You know who it sucks for? Not just my guy Kev, but for you 14 and under. No. And all fans 15 and over receive a Johnson Controls Dick Dickhead Dick Allen No bobble. Dick Allen Dick Bobbleheads. Dick My man, Allen's you should have just stayed with Richie. Sucks for you, 14 and <laughs> under. You don't get one. And all, and all fans 15 and over receive a Johnson Controls Dick Dickhead. Dick you don't get one. Allen's bobble figurine. Johnson Dick. Controls. You don't get one. 14 and unders. Dickhead. I mean, it's pretty profane. I know why they don't get them. Should come with a rating on it. NC-15. Maybe you don't give it to the 15-year-olds either. Or the 16-year-olds, or the 17-year-olds, or even the 21-year-olds. 
That bobblehead only goes to 35 and under. That bobblehead goes to 50-year-olds and under. I'm just trying to help the Yankee fan. I'm trying to lighten up a little bit. I mean, the Phillies are 15 and 15, and they're having great promotions. Take it easy, Yankee fan. Take it easy. It's May 2nd. Relax. I got you, Kev. I'm telling you, you can misspeak. I've done the same. I may next segment. You never know. Kevin! Don't worry. It's not like that'll be around forever. I, I know, Kevin. I've done things that stay around forever. Just know it's never going away. All right. But you know what, though? Unless you put yourself out there, you can never have something like that happen. Hello. When, when we come back. All right, so now we've hit on Boston fan. We've hit on New York fan. We've hit on the most explosive bobblehead giveaway ever. Thank you, Robbie. Jim Furyk. Jim, it is great to have you on the show. Jim, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's good, good to be on the show as well. It's good to have you. So even better to talk to you on the day that you were named captain of the U.S. team for the President's Cup. Listen, Jim, given the fact that you competed seven times as a President's Cup player and you served as a captain's assistant twice, what does being named the captain represent to you? Uh, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. Looking at the list of captains that came before me, uh, having the PJ Tour and, and you know, them having the trust in me to uh, to lead this team, it, it means a lot. And uh, you said I had an opportunity to play in a lot of these President's Cups and, and served as a, an assistant captain. I was the captain of the Ryder Cup team back in 2018. So to have another opportunity to lead a team and be a part of it is really, uh, really special. Jim Furyk is joining us. Jim, you did have a lot of experience. In fact, you had great success as a player. You went 20-10-3 in President's Cup competition. What do you remember most about that time in representing both your country and being a part of uh, being a part of a team? Because it seems to me you interacted really well, regardless of who you played with and who your partner was. You always reacted really well. What do you remember most about playing in those events? Really, the the camaraderie. Everyone wants to talk about like, what do you remember about playing? What do you remember about your game? And and I I remember more kind of as much off the golf course in the team room and. The interaction with the players and the stories and, uh, you know, I guess just the friendships that I've taken from these events over the years. Uh, we were we were very fortunate to be successful in the President's Cups I played in. So most of us do have a pretty, pretty positive record. But what I take out of it is more the relationships and the friendships I made from those events. And, and uh, you know, I remember a lot of the matches, but I remember more about the shots that my partners hit probably than I than I hit. Really interesting. Jim Furyk is joining us. I'll double back to that in a minute when it comes to assembling the team because you've got a lot of time to decide who you want to be on that team. You know, it's kind of weird to say, but when you think back on your career with the President's Cup, was there a more exciting week or President's Cup than, say, 2003, which ironically ended in a draw? And what do you remember most about that week? Uh, two things. Uh, well, one, Mike Weir and I started, we were first out. So Weir's he's the international captain in 2003. He won the Masters. I won the U.S. Open. The captain sent us out first. Uh, now we're, we're going to captain against each other. I finished my match and I hopped on a golf cart with our captain, Jack Nicholas. Uh, my wife wasn't there that week. She was pregnant with my son. So I was solo. I hopped on the cart with Jack and I rode around in a golf cart with him for two and a half hours uh, and kind of watched those matches unfold with uh, with probably the best player of all time. And then the the, uh, the playoff, the Ernie Els Tiger Woods playoff, where all the pressure, all the marbles were on their shoulders, and uh, they played some amazing golf, uh, made some amazing putts, and it was pretty much pitch black and dark. And uh, and you mentioned the whole thing ended up in a tie, and it's the way it probably should have ended. Uh, and it's hard to say a tie is exciting, but uh, that was probably the most nervous I was ever watching golf before. And I just watching and watching those two and what it, what it all meant was. Uh, was an incredible experience. Such great stories, great anecdotes. Jim Furyk is joining us. Yeah, Jim, so did playing in the event and having success in the event as a player prepare you to captain this, or are they talking, or are we talking about two totally different things? Two totally different things. I think uh, early as a player, uh, you know, I I wasn't ever thinking about being a captain. As I played in more of these and, and got to play in, say, seven President's Cups, nine Ryder Cups, I started thinking about it, like, if I ever got the opportunity, I started drawing little bits and pieces from every captain I played from. But 
Then I became a vice captain or assistant captain for the first time. And you realize that playing in one and captaining one are totally two, two different animals. And so, uh, you know, I was able to be an assistant for, for some very, very good captains and learned a lot from them. Uh, and, and then had the opportunity to be a captain in 2018 for the Ryder Cup. So I'll draw from all the experiences, not only a player, but, uh, you know, being a captain and having that experience was, uh, uh, was, was priceless for me. So uh, I'll apply some lessons learned, uh, change a few things up from, uh, say, 2018 and apply those to 24. We're talking to Jim Furyk. So in terms of playing for other captains, if you had to name a guy or two, who are the guys that you most like playing for or the most effective captains that you played for? I played for so many good ones. And uh, I guess the one, I, I think I played on four teams that Jack Nicholas captain. So um, uh, I, I just always, uh, for one reason or another, probably because my wife went to Ohio State. I, I feel like the Nicholases uh, have treated us great over the years. And uh, getting to play for one of the best players of all time, get to pick his brain, uh, understand kind of what made him tick. And I saw how difficult or how tough he was on himself. Uh, in his play throughout my career. So uh, that's probably the the one that sticks out, but it's because it's Jack Nicholas, and uh, I got to spend so much time with him and, and feel uh, feel very grateful for uh, the time I spent with him and, and Barber. We're talking to Jim Furyk for a few more moments. Hey, Jim, so obviously you want the, when it comes to assembling the team, right, you want the best available players, that's a given, but how much of that is going to be balanced with, say, fit, chemistry, and how much any player might embrace the team approach? How do you approach the entire thing? I think it's it's answer D, all the above, right? Yeah. You're looking at, uh, you know, the toughest task really for the captains in this event is, is really your captain's picks. And so you're looking at present form. You're looking at uh, horses for courses. How do they match up with Royal Montreal and the setup at Royal Montreal uh, personalities? And then you're kind of, you know, already trying to fit, a, you know, the puzzle together with your pairings. And maybe you're missing a guy or two that would really help pairing wise. Uh, with some guys on the team. So it's a little of everything. And and uh, it was one of the difficult decisions I had in 2018 was how to round out my team with four captain's picks. And I think I learned from that experience. And, and uh, you know, it, it's definitely, I guess, the bad call is one you have to make to the guy to tell him he's not on the team. But uh, when, when you call a guy and tell him he is on the team and you hear the emotion on the other side and how happy they are at uh, – it's really a cool, cool process to be in for a captain. Hey, Jim, since we've owned some thoroughbred horses, I love that analogy, horses for courses. As an example, you played no seven in the event's only previous visit to the Royal Montreal Golf Club, which is going to play host once again in September. A historic course, to be sure. What kind of challenges will that present to the players? It's a it's a big golf course. We played a Canadian Open there in 2014 as well. Um, I think we saw two different courses, maybe not set up with this heavy rough in 07. and 14, I remember some heavy rough, uh, straight hitters paradise that year. Uh, but it's a big golf course, and I'm sure they've added some length to it uh, since we saw it in 14. Uh, I love it. You know, I don't like when people say it's a great golf course for match play. I, I think a great golf course is a great golf course, and it can play. You can play any any format on it. There is some risk reward at Royal Montreal, and I think it lends itself nicely to match play, but it's a great golf course either way, and uh, looking excited to taking the team up there to play it. Hey, Jim, one last thought. You competed in the President's Cup in Montreal in 07, and two of your three wins came with Tiger Woods as your partner. He recently underwent ankle surgery after having to withdraw from the Masters. You know, you know him well. Given how badly he wants to compete and how fierce he is as a competitor, how do you think that he's going to balance the physical issues he's dealing with right now with his desire to be out there and still playing and grinding and battling? Uh, well, well, you know, probably the uh, the greatest competitor our generation ever saw, and I know how how badly he wants to be out there competing, and and you know. I, it's a bummer when it when 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 your career maybe stops is taken away is paused uh, by injury. It's kind of a bummer. You want to go out on your own terms, do it your own way, and and uh, you know uh, his game looks like it's sharp when he's healthy, when he's feeling good. Early in the weeks, his game looks sharp. As the week goes on, it seems like uh, you know the injury takes its toll and, and it's difficult. So uh, hated to see him have to withdraw at the Masters, but. Uh, he, you know, truly has been uh, fighting and grinding uh, in these events that he's played in, and it's nice to see him out there. 
As mentioned, he is a 17-time winner on the PGA Tour. He won the U.S. Open in 03, and today named captain of the U.S. team for the President's Cup, which is going to be held in Montreal in September of 2024. He is Jim Furyk. Jim, congrats on that great honor. Really nice to have you on the show, and I always appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. In Orlando, Eric. Eric, what's going on? Tommy, how you doing, buddy? Good, dude. How about you? Where are you? I'm actually not in Orlando, dude. We were getting punched in the face offshore, South Carolina. Molly Newton said, do you want to come out and take the boat to Boston? I said, hell yeah. So we were offshore in South Carolina. We were getting a little beat up. So, so we ran inside here. I'm on the intercoastal. We're coming into Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. Wait a minute. So you're on a boat right now? I'm on the yacht. You're on the yacht. Tell me about the yacht. Now, remind me, Eric, it's your yacht or somebody else's yacht, and how big is this yacht? It's my Newtons. I'm inside right now. It's, it's, but if I was outside, you wouldn't be able to hear me. It's a 61-foot. Oh, he's throwing, he's, he's throwing down the throttles. It's getting quiet. It's a 61-foot Garlington Landerweir. Right, so what's that boat known for? 61 feet is eight. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a sport fishing boat. It's got a, it's got a tuna tower. Uh, twin 1200 horsepower turbocharged man diesels. Uh, what else? It's got. It's just a beautiful boat. I'm, I'm just glad to get away from Orlando for. So anything biting? What are you guys pulling out of the water? Eric. Eric. Come on, man. <laughs> and now he's done. No. You don't like that. What a flex. What a flex. Eric in Orlando doesn't fish on a boat. He fishes on a yacht. Got that, Matt? I fish on a yacht. It's not a boat. It's a yacht. A 61-footer. Twin. Twin engine. Twin. I don't know. My man, if it's a yacht... Could you not add a cell tower to it? Hey, Chuck, pick me up right quick. Tommy, so help fill in the gaps. He started off pretty well. Where did he start? Where did he end up? Whose boat? Where were they? What do you know? Good night now!